0: Well, as we uh, continue uh, into this really challenging and yet practical book, uh, this letter actually of 1 Corinthians, uh, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church in Corinth, um, we were kind of traversing through some difficult passages, a lot of conflict resolution uh, a lot of non-confrontive uh, sort of conflict that which, that should have happened in chapter five, and then uh, and then the wrong kind of conflict resolution in chapter six. Uh, there is a problem in the church of for why we get down the road so far with these kinds of unhealthy relationships, unhealthy perspectives. This, this sickness, really, that's been going around the church. You know when about, you know, November or so, everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's something going on. It's like, there's always something going around. You know, it's just, to me, whenever I hear someone say that, like, that's the first thing that we say is there's something going around. Well, there is actually something going around the church. And it's not just our church. It's not just Life Mission Church. But there's been something going around, this sickness, this illness that's been going around the church for many, 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 many years. And this sickness, this condition that we have, it causes us to lash out at other people when we don't get things our way. It causes us to give silent treatment to other people when we don't get things our way or, or go into fits of rage. It causes us to get uh, greedy when we see someone have something else that we don't have. It causes us to lie to people that we love. It causes us to go into depression. And this, the sickness, this illness that's going around, it causes anxiety in our hearts and worry about the future. And this sickness, this illness that's going around the church, that's been going around for years and years and years, it's called gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia. We forget the good news. We forget what Christ has done for us. All we see is what's right in front of us. We see the person who has more than us. We see the bills that are piling up. We see the person that wronged us. And we have gospel amnesia. And so what do we do? We don't run to the cross. We don't run to the identity of of who we actually are, but we run to the identity of what is right in front of us. And we build our life and we make decisions and we respond and react to those things rather than the good news of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what's been going on in the Corinthian church. This is why they've looked the other way when there was sexual immorality in the church because they forgot that Jesus Christ died for that very sin. They forgot the gospel and and how they've been given everything. They've forgotten that so they're taking their brothers to court. And making them pay, and they're punishing them because they've forgotten the good news of Jesus that He has taken on all their sin and all their punishment. We have this gospel amnesia. It's, it's when our identity is misplaced, when your identity is in something else other than Christ, that's when we get gospel amnesia. When we're, we aren't looking at our life through the lens of the gospel, but and maybe we've forgotten where the proper lens is. We, we pick up this muddied and bloodied lens of all the things that have been done to us. We become victims. Or maybe your own past. You're looking through your life through your own past and the things you've done. And so now you just you go forward with like this, this trepidation and this fear of man because of what you've done in the past. And that's the lens you see your life through. And that's how you respond to relationships. And so you hold back from people. You close up because you have fear of the past, that the past is going to happen again. And so we are wearing the wrong lens. And this is what the Corinthians were faced with. And this is what we're faced with. We get in arguments and disagreements and we even go to courts because of this gospel amnesia. Our identity is in our wealth or lack of wealth or our kids' success. Or maybe in social media and how you're perceived on social media or... Maybe your giftedness or how useful you are in your family or in your circle of friends or how useful you are in the church. That's where you would get identity is how useful you are. Or maybe it's your popularity. Or maybe you get your identity in some kind of happiness or comfort. That's, you know, you, you, that's where your identity lands. And when that's the case, we turn on other people who get in the way of those things. People that get in the way of our kids' success, we turn on them, don't we? How come that coach isn't playing my kid as much as he should? How come they get all those things? We work hard too. See, we turn on people that get in the way of these misplaced identity objects and idols because we have gospel amnesia and our identities in those things rather than in the good news of Jesus. All of this stems from gospel amnesia. So I want to pray now because I hope that as we leave this place, I hope these songs that we sang this morning, I hope they're just ringing in your head. I want you to leave this place after we go through this text and sing these songs and I want you to go from this place and go, I just wanna thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done. You've set me free. You've opened my prison door. You've set me free. I just wanna thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done. If we leave this place through this text and these songs and we're, we're singing those songs in our head and thinking about this text, then we're gonna, we're gonna treat people differently, aren't we? We're going to respond and react to the things that come our way differently if we go out without gospel amnesia, but with gospel reminders. So let's pray and ask the Lord that he would help us because we need help in this because this is not our default. Our default is just to react what's in front of us. So let's ask the Lord for some help this morning. Father in heaven, you are a holy God set apart from all things. There is no one like you. Your name is the name above all names. You're the king of all kings. You're the Lord of all lords. And you elevate above all things your name and your word. And this morning as we open up your word, God help us to also elevate your word above all things in our life. Because right now, there are other things that are elevated more than your word in our life. We're, we're listening to our own selves. We're listening to our own language that's on the inside, telling ourselves, that person owes me. I'm going to make them pay. My past is this, so I'm no good. We're listening to our word all the time. God, may we elevate your word above those words. This morning, God, may you set us free from condemnation and shame. May you give us a a boldness and a confidence, not in ourselves, not a cockiness or an arrogance in ourselves, but a boldness in the gospel, our gospel identity. That we would not walk out of this place with gospel amnesia, but that your good news, the good news of your promises, our identity in Christ, being washed by the blood of Jesus, that that would be the thing that we walk out of here with that in the forefront of our minds. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us and guide us into all truth today. We need our hearts to be convinced. or we do believe, but help us in our unbelief. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. let's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 9, 10, and 11 this morning. There's three verses. We're going to take a little bit of a, a scenic route here before we jump into kind of the depths of gospel amnesia and how to attack it. Because in this text here, I'll read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 here it brings up a question that's been kind of an age-old question of who goes to heaven? How do we get there? Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul kind of inadvertently addresses this question of how we get to heaven. Who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven? Is it the top 50 percentile of the community in the world, those kind of people that are on the upper side of goodness, do they get to go, or is it maybe the top 10 percent? Is it everyone that goes to heaven, or is it no one that goes to heaven? Does it even exist? I've said many times here uh, on Sundays that for me, before I was a believer, that was uh, my, my stance, was that the upper 50 percentile would go to heaven, which I know now is a, a silly thought because there's no possible way I could actually even know if I'm in the upper 50 percentile. All you have to do is just hang out with people that are worse than you and you're gonna feel pretty good, right? And so, there's no way we can actually know how that measurement even happens. But that was exactly how I thought. I thought, well, I've never murdered. I've never done this, I've never done that. And that's how I would weigh out my sin and my self-righteousness. I've talked a lot, uh, you guys, a lot of you have heard me on Sundays talk about how um, I would get together with my son and five of his friends uh, for what we call a fight club, where we get together, we, we, we fight for the gospel for each other, we fight for each other, and uh, some of these boys aren't believers, and we would talk through, uh, how do you get to heaven? Of course, you know, kids want to know those types of things, and they have the same answers that I had. Well, you just got to be a good person. And they would answer that way, and I would say, all right, that's a very common answer. That's a very... Uh, kind of humanly logic way to answer. But then as we would talk through things, because most of them kind of believe in general that a man named Jesus came and died on a cross. Whether or not they believe in him is a different story. But one of them who has a, a, a faith, but is a, the, their faith is that they have to be a good person, they said, well, you got to be a good person. I said, well, if that's the case, if you can get to heaven by being a good person and just being some upper 50 percentile, upper 10 percentile, then what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? And he sat there, and he was quiet for two or three or four seconds, and he had this perplexed look on his face, and he just said, I guess there would be no point. I said, exactly. There is no point. There's no point for Jesus to come and die on the cross if somehow we could make it to heaven by our own goodness. It's the verse that Brittany read during our time of singing. Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. And, and if, I could, if, if I could get God's grace by my good works, then Christ died in vain. What was the point of that? There would be no point. And I remember for myself, the first time that I realized this, I was 18 years old, and my aunt, she showed me in black and white in God's word, Romans 3, 10 and through 12. And I'll just read it to you. It'll be up on the screen here. It says, as it's written, no one is righteous. No one is truly, actually righteous and perfect and pure. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one is absolutely good in totality. None of us are righteous. And then a few verses down it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now we look at what Paul says. That was also Paul speaking to the Romans. And now what he says to the the Corinthians, to the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians in first Corinthians, and we've got to remember the context here of why he's saying this to them. He's given them grief because they've been taking each other to court. And last week we talked about, we had this thing in, in your notes that said that until we see the depth of our own sin, until we see that we are also are not righteous, and until we see that we've also had our sins forgiven on the cross, and we also see that the cross sufficiently paid for the sins of others that, and the sins they've done to us, until we see the cross is sufficient for those sins as well, no amount of punishment, no amount of condemning our friends, no amount of payback towards others would ever be enough for us. Until we actually see that Christ's death was sufficient for our sins and for their sin, then we will never be satisfied with any kind of payback that someone could possibly give us. We'll constantly hold grudges. We'll hold bitterness in our hearts you'll say, I forgive you, but you'll walk in bitterness secretly towards that person. Until you reconcile that the blood of Jesus and the cross was sufficient to pay for your sins, and and you actually see that you have sin, and you also see that cross was sufficient for their sin and the sin that they did to you, until that happens, you will always be secretly and inwardly bitter towards those people, even if outwardly you put on a smile. That's just what we do. We just, we masquerade in this kind of self-righteous, put on the Christian smile and act like we love our brothers and sisters. But inwardly, we still have bitterness. So Paul uses this similar argument with them, that you've got to see your own sin first if you're going to be able to not take your brothers to court and if you're going to actually be able to forgive people for real. He says to them in these verses here, and this is kind of the context, I'm paraphrasing. Why are you taking brothers and sisters to court? Why are you, and we talked last week about not just going to like a, a, the court of law, but even the inner courts of our hearts, judging people, condemning people, declaring people guilty in our hearts, slandering people in the court of public opinion. Why are you taking brothers and sisters to court, whether public court or private court? Why are you taking them to court in your own hearts? Why are you gossiping about them? Why are you giving them silent treatment? Why are you gainsaying and trying to get people on your side? Why are you withholding love from them and openness? Why do you build up walls between brothers and sisters? Don't you know, paraphrasing Paul here, that all of you deserve to be taken to the court of God? All of you deserve to be taken to court according to God's law. You should stand before him, the judge. You're being so hypocritical. Let's look back at verse 9 don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then the Corinthian might say, well, yeah, we know. That's why we're taking the unrighteous to court. And he says, no, 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 no. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled into thinking that that's them and you're you. It's not us and them. No, you also fall into this category of the unrighteous that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunks, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says here, and such were some of you. Yeah, you were were some of these right here. So why are you judging? Why are you condemning? Why are you gossiping? Why do you have bitterness towards someone when you've done that same thing to someone else at some point in your life? Let's look back at this list. We'll go through kind of quickly, one by one. Because I know you find yourself in this list. And if you don't, you probably will after I explain a few. Some of you have committed sexual sin. And you know, Jesus said, you know, I I say to you that, uh, or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, even if if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've ever lusted after someone who is not your spouse, then you've committed sexual sin. Premarital sex, any sex outside of marriage, this great gift that God has given us as a picture of the gospel, and we use it for our own glory, for our own pleasure, not to enjoy this great creation called marriage that's been given to us to give us the beautiful picture of the gospel. But we abuse this gift of sex, and we use it for our own pleasure. Some of us have done that, if not all of us. We've committed idolatry. We've idolized other people, other things. Maybe you've had emotional affairs with people, idolized people, or you've put people up on a pedestal and you've said, oh, they're never going to fail me. And you just want to follow them and be like them and you model everything and, and you do things. You're a people pleaser because you want them to be happy with you. You basically essentially worship them as your functional Savior and Lord of your life. Or maybe it's a thing, maybe it's money, or maybe it's comfort. Because we do. We, we worship self. We live our life, we make our decisions according to what is best for us. We look after number one, and number one is us. Some of you are adulterers, or if you've committed adultery. you've gone outside of your own marriage to find sinful fulfillment or satisfaction. Some of you have practiced homosexuality. Some of you have a a, a history with the same-sex attraction sometime in your past that's been a part of your life. Some of us have, have had that in our past. Some of us have battled that maybe from a young age or later on or whatever it is, and this is something that in our world, in our churches, we have to know and recognize. Some of us have stolen Maybe you steal from work. Maybe you steal time from work. Maybe you cheat on your taxes. Maybe you just take a little extra. One for me, half for them. Two for me, one for them. Maybe you steal. Maybe some of us have been greedy. You've seen things that you want. You live for money. Money is our God. We worship money. Some of us, we have a history of drunkenness, partying. We don't enjoy the gift of food, drink in a responsible way. And, you know, in here also, because this is, this is not a, 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 a total list here. We can add gluttony into this. We could add any number of other sins in here. But rather than receiving these things as gifts that we should responsibly enjoy or could responsibly enjoy, we actually go too far. Now these things control us. We have addictions to these things. We make fools of ourselves in front of other people. We bring reproach upon Christ because we say we're Christians, but then we act in this way because of drunkenness. Revilers. Some of us have been revilers. People who speak against, specifically against Christians or the gospel, they just revile the gospel. They revile God. They hate God. And they talk and they clamor about God. People who are malicious gossips just love to talk, talk, talk. Some of us have been verbally abusive in our past. We like to manipulate. We like to keep people under our thumb. Some of us have been swindlers in our past. We've ripped others off. Maybe it's through your business. Maybe you, maybe you uh, technically, legally run a legit business, but you kind of fudge the numbers a little bit to get a little bit extra. Maybe you false advertised in your business. Whatever it might be, some of us have been swindlers. And Paul says that these kinds of people won't inherit the kingdom. And yet we were some of these people. And now we're judging other people who are doing these things. We're taking them to court. Publicly, inwardly, whatever it is, we're taking them to court. And we're not forgiving them. If you could, open up to Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 through 35, there's a few verses here. Uh, some of you guys in your community groups, you probably read through this a, a couple weeks ago. But I wanted to go through this today because this just gives us an incredible picture of what Paul is talking about here. This will be up on the screen too if you don't have a Bible. But Matthew 18, verse 21. Now, remember that this comes right after some other texts we looked at in the last couple of weeks. Matthew 18, when talking about if someone sins against you, go to them privately First. And if that doesn't work, then go with someone else. Then if not, then you go to the church. Okay, so the context of even what Jesus is talking about is conflict and conflict resolution. How do we do it biblically? Right after that text, here's the parable that he gives. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times. But seventy seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master came and said to him, "You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you?" And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's the picture that we're getting here, that Jesus is giving? We're getting a picture of gospel amnesia. Good news, amnesia. This servant who has been forgiven leaves and immediately forgets what was just given to him. And so he punishes other people. Paul is incredulous that these Christians are judging each other, not just taking them to court, but getting to a place where they become so annoyed and fed up with each other that they can't even forgive each other. Taking the court's the one thing, but the problem, the bigger problem, is what is in their heart that got them to that place in the first place. They're acting just like this wicked servant. Now, just for a little picture for you, just have you know this, that today's equivalent, what the first servant was forgiven was $6 billion if you adjusted for inflation. (laughs) The next debt that this other guy owed him, he owed $12,000. Not a small sum, but not $6 billion. And so we see this first guy, he's been forgiven by the king, He's been forgiven everything, every debt he owed up to $6 billion. And he walks out and someone else wrongs him for a much smaller amount. Significant, yes. But much smaller than what he's been forgiven. And what does he do? He chokes him. And he throws him in prison. Takes him to the court of his own heart and says, You're guilty. You owe me. Gospel amnesia, church. A king, the king of kings shows great mercy to us. And other people wrong you. And and it's significant. It hurts when people come against you and they say evil, wicked things from the pit of hell. That hurts. I've been there. And I want to lash out and I want to make people pay. And I want to tell other people how that person's treating me. But I have to sit back, church, and I have to say, no, my king has already forgiven me for all the ways that I've sinned against him. And that sin done to me, though it hurts and it's costly, I have to trust that the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of the King is also for them and I don't need to make them pay because Christ has already paid for them and I've already been forgiven for all the ways that I have sinned against God. I don't want to live in that kind of hypocrisy, that kind of self-righteousness. So what is the solution then for us? To not be so judgmental, to not be so hypocritical, to not be so self-righteous. And maybe, maybe more importantly, what's the relief we can get after we see this crazy list, this, this black list of sin that we find ourselves doing two or three or four, maybe all of them. Because even if we learn how to not be judgmental, we still have this problem that if we find ourselves on that list, we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the solution to not be judgmental, to not be a hypocrite, and the solution also to this anxiety of, am I not going to make it, is found in one single word in this text. And it's the word were. Were. Church, we were these things. We were these things. But look what happened. Look what, look what Paul says happened. He says, but, now you remember, when you see the word but, B-U-T, in the Bible, that means that everything before that word doesn't matter anymore. Okay, in, in Ephesians 2, right, we see that we're children of wrath, sons of disobedience, but, but God, because he's rich in mercy because of the grace he's given us, we're saved. So it doesn't matter that we were sons of disobedience and children of wrath because God intervenes. And so here we have this list. This list we say, okay, I'm seven out of those. I'm I'm eight of those. This is bad news. I I owe $6 billion to the king of kings. And then this, this word First, we see the word were, you were these things. That's the first word that's so important. The second word that's so important here is the word but. Such were some of you, but here's what's important to know about yourself. See, it might be true that you have been to those things, but there's a difference between, in my view, there's a difference between what is true and what is truth. It's true that you are an idolater, an adulterer, You practice homosexuality, sexual immorality. It's true that you were those things. But the truth of the matter is this. You were washed. You were sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, that's the truth right there. It may be true that you've done those things and you lived that lifestyle, but the truth is is that you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart because of the cross. You've been justified. You have a right legal standing now before God. You've gone to the court of God. You've been brought into his court. You've stood before the judge. And this term justified, it's a legal term. You've been declared innocent. You've been declared innocent. Not just not guilty. Not guilty means we don't have enough evidence to say that you're guilty. No, you're declared innocent. Innocent before God, washed clean by his blood. In your notes, you can follow here. I just have a, a quick little definition of these three. This word wash means the filth of your sin has been removed, the stain, right? So, so some of you know that you've been justified, you've got legal standing, but you still feel like, you, you know, it's like when you have, like you get on like a, a, a sex offender uh, registry, right? That's this mar that stains. So even though maybe you've served your time, but now you've got this stain on your life. See, that's how we act sometimes. We know that we were these things. We were thieves. We were adulterers. But we walk around thinking that we have this mark on us, this, this scar. And we say, well, I know I was those things, but, but you know, I, I did it, and I still know that. And I know you still know that, and I know it haunts you, but you've got to understand that you've been washed. So you don't walk around now with that mar, that stain, any longer, because it has been washed away. You don't stand before God in the name of you. You stand before God in the name of Jesus. Does Jesus have thievery on his name? Does he have sexual morality on his name? Does he have greed on his name? No, he does not, so when you stand before God the Father, the great judge, and you're in his name, hidden in him, as we sang, rock of ages, cleft for me, I find myself hidden in you. If you're standing before God, the, the great judge, hidden in Christ, he does not see any of those stains that you've committed. So when we say we've been washed, we're not just not guilty. No, we've been washed, and now we're innocent, completely innocent. The filth of sin has been removed. It no longer leaves a stain so, this word sanctified, you were sanctified. Usually, we use the word sanctified as something that's currently happening. We're being sanctified, right? We've been forgiven, we're justified, but now we're in the process of sanctification. And here Paul's using it maybe a little differently. He's talking about this word sanctified because sanctified means being set apart. We're in the process of being set apart as we grow in our personal holiness, we grow in godliness, we're in the process. Of being set apart but in a very real and final way which is what I love about this verse because he used the word sanctified in the past tense even though it's current and future for us right but Paul's using in a past tense kind of way because he's saying look your salvation is so set and so solid that even though you're in the process of being sanctified you've actually already been sanctified because God has already set you apart and you can't go back. He has set you apart, he's plucked you out of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of light, and you've been sanctified and set apart from that kingdom. And now you're in the process of walking that out and growing in it, but it's already been done. It's already been done. So you've already been set apart by God. You've already been sanctified, even though you're in the process of sanctification. And then thirdly, justified. It means you now have a right, legal standing before God, the great judge. You can stand before the judge and have no fear of condemnation. No fear that he's going to hit that gavel on his bench and, and, and say guilty. Here's your sentence. You have no fear. You can stand before the great judge of all judges and have a boldness and a confidence and a peace and a joy because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But our problem, church, is that we forget this truth. And the Corinthians have forgotten this truth. Their identity is not in the gospel that they've been washed and sanctified and justified. Just like the wicked servant, his identity wasn't forgiven servant, right? That's what his identity should be. He should walk away from that $6 billion debt that's just been given to him or the, the, the forgiveness of that debt. He should walk away from that with his head up high and say, my identity is I'm a forgiven servant, the king has forgiven me and he should go out and then from that identity overflow with forgiveness to other people. Isn't that right? I mean, that's what he should be. That's what his identity should now be. Walking around town, my identity, I'm a forgiven servant. I owed God and now I don't. I owed the king and now I don't. He was gonna imprison me and make me pay and now he's not. I have this joy, this peace, and I can forgive other people. His identity and his actions should flow from that. But instead, his identity was, I'm an owed master. You owe me. He so quickly forgot what he was given, and he walked out, and his identity was, you owe me. You owe me $12,000. You owe me. That was now his identity. Whatever was in front of his face right then, not this thing that's been done in the past for him, but this thing in front of him. Someone owes him. Someone mistreated him. That's now his identity. His identity. He sees himself as a victim, a victim of other people's sin. And that's his identity. He's forgotten. Church, what a tragedy it is when we forget our identity, when we forget who we are. We forget and we need to be reminded of what has been done for us. Such a tragedy, church, when a Christian forgets who they are. When a believer in Jesus Christ forgets their identity, it is a tragedy. But when we're reminded of what has been done for us, then we're able to forgive others. We're able to walk in freedom from the bitterness, the grudges. We're able to Absorb the the wrath and the wrong of others that they've done to us because now all of a sudden it doesn't actually touch our identity. Right? When your identity is in Christ and your identity is in your forgiveness, then when other people wrong you, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't touch your identity. It might hurt momentarily, but you're able to get that perspective, that gospel perspective, and say, just as Jesus did, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're able to look at the people who wrong you and say, Lord, I, I know I've done those same exact things to other people, so you know what? I, I, I know I can forgive them because you forgive me of a lot more. I can give grace. It hurts, but I can give grace, and I can love them because I know that you've loved me and you've forgiven me of this great debt. Church, does this, does this make sense? All right, does this, does this like ring true in us that... When, when you're sitting here and you're listening to what I'm saying, have, do you realize that the, the conflicts in your life stem from this gospel amnesia? That it's in that moment that the gospel is not the most important to you, but being owed or getting paid back, that's what becomes most important to you because you've forgotten what you've been. Does that make sense to us? I read through this and there's these texts here and I just it brings conviction. The, the parable of the wicked servant brings such a deep conviction to me. If your identity is as a a victim, then the wrongs of others are going to rule your heart. The wrongs of others done to you are going to shape your decision-making and how you not just treat them, but how you treat other people. If your identity is as self-righteous, then the judging of others is going to rule your heart. Looking down upon others, that's what's going to rule your decisions. Your identity, church, your identity dictates your decisions. How you see yourself, how you see your life circumstances, that dictates your decisions. It dictates your attitude. It dictates how you treat other people. It dictates how you interact with your kids. It dictates how you interact with your spouse and your friends and your coworkers, your family, your church family. Your identity steers everything. And so if our identity is in the work of Christ and Christ's work on our behalf, then the wrongs done to you and the bad behavior of others, the sinful behavior of others, maybe that you observe in life that you maybe want to be judgmental about or take them to court over in your heart, or maybe it's the wrongs that you've done, your own past, when our identity is in Christ and His work towards us and what He's accomplished on the cross, then we... We'll willfully absorb, as we choose to forgive, we'll absorb all those things because of the forgiveness that we've been given. We'll be able to take those things. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying you won't be reminded. The enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren, so he's going to accuse those people and try to get you riled up, and he's also going to accuse you of your past to get you all riled up. Right? So, so I'm not saying those things are going to go away. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that your bitterness isn't going to start popping up or your self-condemnation is going to start popping up. That's going to happen. But when we do that, where do we run? Do we run to that to become our new identity? Or do we turn our eyes and our focus and our hearts towards the cross of Jesus Christ? We don't want to run to those other things and let those things be our identity. We want to run to the cross. When we stand accused for our own sin or when we stand as accusers of other people's sin, we need to look to the cross. We need to look to the cross. And and I want you to know this, that as I mentioned that this uh, you were sanctified, that sanctification is actually kind of this sort of future and ongoing thing, but it's also a past thing. And what's so great about this text is that it's a reminder that the cross isn't just something in the past but we have actually a future to look forward to. Our future is that we have already been sanctified and we're gonna be glorified. That we're gonna be children of God, not just in this life, but forever and ever. And so when we start putting the gospel on and we start putting off this maliciousness and this greed and and this wanting to make people pay, when we start putting the gospel on, then our future and when you're gonna be glorified and who you are in the future, your future starts invading your presence. You start becoming who you actually are in Christ. Does that make sense? Like right now you're like, let's just say for simple words, like we're half and half. I'm half in the flesh and I'm half in the spirit, right? But if we keep looking at the cross and we keep looking forward to our, our future and eternal identity as perfected saints, Right? We can't be corrupted when we're in heaven. As we keep looking to that and not towards our circumstances, then all of a sudden that, that and this is you know, kind of just simple analogy, but now that 50% now becomes 60%, and now we're becoming who we actually already are in the future. You become what God has created to be and what he sees for you for all eternity. So your future, your future glorification starts invading your present right now. You start becoming what you will be but in this life. And I know you can already say that about yourself. You look back, it's been 21 years since I've become a believer. I'm a completely different person. My future has already invaded my present in the last 21 years. Now, I've got more future to invade, but what I'm saying is when I was 18, I looked this way, and thy future the future eternal Joby, as perfected in Christ, has been invading my life for the last 21 years. And I'm saying more, Lord, Please, Lord, let, me, let that future glorified Joby invade more. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I died with him, and I've been risen with him. Let that Joby become more in this life, that my sanctification would become more clear in this life, not just this future fulfillment, but something clear even now. And not only that, but that future identity of you being perfect in Christ also now overrules your past. It doesn't just invade your present, but actually overrules your past. Because your past may haunt you, and it doesn't have to any longer. Because you have a future in Christ because of the cross, because you were those things. But you've been washed, you've been sanctified, and you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ came, He truly gives you a future and wipes away your past, wipes away every tear, every pain, every sorrow you've ever had. You have an inheritance, church. You've got a future inheritance. That judge became your father, and he gives you an inheritance. And this inheritance is only given to you through the cross of Jesus Christ, the fact that he loved you so much that he said, yes, Father, yes, great judge, I will go to that earth where they revile me, where they're adulterers, where they're greedy, they speak against us, they hate us. I'm going to go to that very earth that that spits upon our image, does not esteem our name above all things, does not uh, put our word above all things, but puts their own name and their own word above all things. I will go to that earth and I will let you judge me and condemn me for all of their sin, and I will pay for all of it so that they can be called sons and daughters. I'm gonna go do that for them so that they can stand before you as cleansed and innocent and sanctified and justified. And whoever so believes that this is exactly what God has done for you, you will be saved. You will be cleansed. You do have a future. You do now have an inheritance from this judge who became your father. And because of that, then we can stop living in misery and shame from our past that no longer has to define us anymore because he has broken every chain of sin and now he chains us to himself, right? When we sing, let your goodness be like a fetter, like handcuffs. Your goodness, God, chains me to you. I'm yours forevermore. Because of that, the shame and condemnation caused by the sin you've done and the sin that's been done to you no longer needs to be there. You can walk free from that. You can walk in freedom. And we can sing the song, I just wanna thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done. You've washed me and cleansed me, you saved me, I just wanna thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done. I died with you, I'm risen with you, I just wanna thank you now, my Lord, for what you've done. And I wanna overflow with that thankfulness and generosity towards others. I wanna close now by reading just a few verses out of Revelation chapter 21 because we've been talking about our present and our past, and we've talked a little bit about our future identity. And here in this text, we get a picture of our future identity, which is actually our current identity, just not fully realized, or sometimes not fully believed by us. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 8, this is John, he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a conqueror, because that list, that black list, I've done those things. See, this is what we're talking about today, is you are now more than a conqueror because you are in Christ, because Christ conquered that black list of sin, and you are now hidden in that Christ. Now you are more than a conqueror through Christ. So in yourself, in your own name, no, you're not a conqueror, so you're going, this isn't for me. I don't get this heritage. I don't get this inheritance. I don't get this future. I don't get this this great identity. Yes, you do. If you're hidden in Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you've been washed and justified and sanctified by Christ, if you've been brought out of a place of death, you once were a child of wrath, a son of disobedience, and now you're a child of God, you've been adopted by God the Father, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you, and he is changing you and has been changing you, then now, yes, you are more than a conqueror through Christ. And so, John, or Jesus here, John writing, Jesus says, it's done, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers, which is us, He will have this heritage, this future, this inheritance, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, here comes another black list of sin. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And you can look again at that list and find yourself probably in four or five or six or all of those. But we can say, church, that because of what Christ has done, we can say, and such were some of us. We were those things as well. And our future, our inheritance, was the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur with the second death. That was, our, that was our inheritance. That was our heritage. But because of Christ, but God, but because such were some of you, but because you've been cleansed and washed and sanctified and purified through Christ, now you're more than a conqueror through Christ. Hidden in him, hidden in the rock of ages, hidden in the cleft of the rock. That now is our heritage, our future. Let's pray and thank the Lord for this great truth that he gives us. Thanking him for all that he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we're amazed and grateful for everything that you have done. We know that we take it for granted each and every day. We live in sometimes, sadly, maybe not a perpetual, but a continual state of gospel amnesia. It invades our every day, this forgetfulness of what you've done for us. And our identity is then shaped by our past or a fear of the future or a fear of what others have done to us or are gonna do to us. Our identity is not found in your son. And as I prayed earlier, God, we, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us to be reminded. Help us to remind ourselves of this each and every day as we see each other, as we gather for community groups or go have coffee together, hanging out, having dinner at each other's homes, Let us remind each other of who we are in Christ. And let us remember that when the enemy accuses us or another person accuses us, our own hearts condemn us. And some of those things they're gonna say are true, but let us remind ourselves of truth, that we've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to live in the freedom that you give. We can have a freedom not just from our own sin, but we can have a freedom from the sin that's done to us. We can walk in freedom of not needing to condemn or punish or live in fear or shame of the sins that have done to us. And it's no easy task, and it doesn't happen usually overnight. But let us press ourselves into the cross of Jesus, of the gospel, that we can forge. Uh, You've forged the identity already, but that we can uh, clean off the lens so that we can see our true identity. Help us, Lord, to do these things. We need the help of your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us into the truth of your promises and your word. We thank you, Father. We thank you that we can call you, Father. Father, it is in the name of your son, Jesus, the son in whom you are well pleased that we're now hidden in, we ask all these things. Amen.